to the October 2023 edition of the Inside Nutley Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Greco, and today we are going to talk with Academy Award nominee and Emmy Award winning set decorator and Nutley High School class of 1984 graduate, Rena D'Angelo. Welcome, Rena. Hi. I want to start by saying that I think you may be the only Nutley native to be nominated for an Academy Award. Your first nomination came in 2016 for the film Bridge of Spies. Tell me about that experience. It was surreal. It was my first film working with Steven Spielberg and um, Adam Stockhausen, who was the production designer. And um, to get nominated for an Oscar was something I always dreamed of, but didn't think it was ever going to actually happen. And when it did, it was it was the it was one of the funnest mornings um, of my career because it was the first time it happened. It's unexpected, and then the phone starts ringing, and you're getting calls all day with people congratulating you, and and then you're preparing to go, and then you go to the Oscars, and you're on the red carpet with, you know, that you've been watching since well, I've been watching since I was what five years old, and I was standing there watching it happen, live in person. So it was fun. Tell me about when you got the phone call, and what was your reaction? I was in the car because I was working, so I was on my way to location wherever we were. And we had it on, like I got it on my phone somehow, and we were listening to it. And um, they said my name, and the my driver and I were just screaming our heads off. And then the phone started ringing. Yeah, so that's how that happened the first time. The second time, we had a little party at five o'clock in the morning, and everybody <laughs> we watched it and celebrated. Who was the first call from? Oh my God, probably my my friend Mark. Ricker, who kept calling, he, he's the one that kept calling me throughout the process, telling me which things I had been nominated for because I wasn't paying any attention to any of it because we were nominated for a BAFTA, which is the British version of the Oscar, and a few other things. And I, I mean, because I didn't expect to get nominated. I was never, I was never going to be nominated for an Oscar. I, I, I was doing props for, year, you know, just a couple of years prior to starting to decorate. So it was, it was quite a, quite a thrill. And then just last year, you were nominated for Best Achievement in Production Design for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Yes. Are you getting used to attending Hollywood's Most Glamorous Night? <laughs> I am, actually. You know, I was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I don't care if I get nominated and again. I was already there twice. Actually, I was there three times. I went with my friend, Mark, who was nominated for Ma Rainey. He's a production designer. I used to work with him. But, no, you don't get tired of it. It's always a thrill. And the, it, you hear your name announced and you see it, and it's... It's exciting. Many film lovers like myself always wonder what Oscar night is really like. Are the ceremonies and the after parties as much fun as they seem? Yes and no. The, the ceremony the ceremony's long, but it's when you're there, it's different than watching it on TV. And also you can get up in between commercial breaks and go out and have champagne and come back in. And, and you're also amongst all these movie stars it's surreal you're wandering around and George Clooney standing there and Meryl Streep's over here and Stevens right here. it's just it's it's fun it's fun the after parties are kind of mayhem um I think it's more fun if you win because you're walking around with the statue and everybody wants to talk to you it's still fun if you don't win right um, but yeah, it's super glamorous. I mean, you're all dressed up, like completely, hair and makeup, you're getting ready for four hours before you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty much fun. 
I guess, as you said, surreal is the key word there, but I mean, it's got to be like kind of uh, being on an alien planet, no? Oh, yeah. It's a complete outer body experience. Do you have a favorite moment from your Oscar experiences? I, would, I think the best experience is the, was the first time I went and the initial red carpet um, walk because it, it didn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. And it, it was smaller and you're walking down and all those people are up in the stands yelling and screaming. And they weren't yelling and screaming for me because I don't know who I am. But it was like they were yelling and screaming for me. Um, so that was, that was a memorable experience. Just all of it. I mean, just the first time you do anything is always more exciting than, but the, the first Oscars was just, it was just an out-of-body experience. You won a Primetime Emmy Award for set design for the series Mad Men in 2007. How thrilling was that? That was pretty thrilling. That, I really didn't think I had any, I didn't really think I was supposed to be there because, again, I had been doing props, which is different. There's, um, set decorating is, is something that you get nominated with the production designer for an Oscar. Props are just hand props, like things that are held in food and guns and cars and, and anything that the actors are handling. And um, so I had been doing that on Sopranos. I was working on Sopranos and um, I was the assistant prop master. And Bob Shaw, who was the designer, um, was going to design Mad Men. One of the writers from Sopranos was doing it. So we were going to do it during a hiatus. And I did a little bit of decorating on the side. And um, he asked me if I wanted to do it. So I did it. And then it was almost a year and a half later when the nominations came out. And he told me, he called to tell me that I was not, we were nominated for an Emmy. I was like, what? For what? I didn't even know what it could possibly be for because I wasn't paying attention. And we went and they said my name and we won and we went up on the stage and I just, I couldn't even hear anything that he was saying. There was just like, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher was talking and, and I was just staring at the audience. It was terrifying and thrilling. And then I walked off the stage and, and uh, we were walking past and we saw Gandolfini was at the bar and he congratulated us. And he said, congratulations to Bob. It's about time because it was the first one that he won. And then he looked at me and he's like, and I'm looking at you going, what the hell is she doing up there? Because I normally, <laughs> I normally did props. So I was like, yeah, well, I changed categories. And I almost quit the business right before that. And so I won, they gave me a statue and then I stuck around and started decorating. Why did you want to quit? I don't know. It's, a, it's, not, it's not the easiest business in the world. And when you're doing props and you're on set and you're working 16, 18 hour days and you're sleeping for five hours and going back to work again and... It was dirty, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And then after I won, my friend who was with me said, are you still going to quit? I was like, no, I think I'll hang around for a little bit longer. <laughs> That's motivation, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think it was a good decision. Okay, let's backtrack a little. You were born and raised in Nutley. What street did you grow up on? Um, I lived on Pershing Avenue by Kingsland Park first, and then we moved to Rutgers Place. I lived up at the top of the hill on Rutgers and Edgewood. What memories stand out from your childhood in Nutley? It was good. It was a good town to grow up in. There was we had a million friends, and all of our cousins lived here, and we just, you know, you could have a really fun childhood living in Nutley. Were you always a big fan of movies as a kid? Yeah, yeah. I was. My parents watched a lot of old movies, and were always watching something, and they got us 
they got us interested in it. And I loved watching the Academy Awards and um, I liked music from a young age. They listened to, you know, the, the standard Nutley Sinatra fair. <laughs> Frankie Valley and, and Sinatra was what was in my house all the time growing up. Um, and we went to, you know, we went to, we went to concerts at the Meadowlands and um, we saw a lot of, no, my, not my family, parents didn't go with us, but we went to go see a lot of concerts because, you know, the proximity to everything was, and we went into the city every weekend. Did you ever think you'd make that your career? No, I didn't think, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I went to school for fashion design and I went to the University of Delaware because in case I changed my mind, I wanted to have, you know, a, be at a regular college that I could um, switch majors. And I didn't. And I, instead of going to FIT in my junior year, like I was going to, I wound up taking a theater class in London and seeing all these plays and then coming back and still not thinking I was going to be in the business. So I was working in fashion and not really enjoying it and um, kind of jumping around trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And my, my cousin, well, I was at a cousin's bridal shower or something and he said, gave my car, I gave my card to my um, cousin's girlfriend at the time who was working at a prop house and she gave it to somebody who came in looking for somebody to art direct and she called me and I had no idea what that even was and um, I thought maybe I could get into the wardrobe department because I was a fashion major and she hired me as, she just called, she wanted me to go shopping for fabric for upholstery and curtains. They were doing this movie. It was going to be in the Hamptons and she needed furniture and she needed, she needed all kinds of stuff. So she sends me out on this scavenger hunt. I have absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I did it because why not? And I came back because I knew where to get the fabric because of fashion. I just walked into the design building in the city and just started talking to people and asking them, you know, we need furniture and we don't have any money and we'll give you credit in the movie. And people gave me stuff. I don't know how I managed it. So I went back with all this free furniture and great fabrics and the woman basically said, who are you and do you want to work tomorrow? And I said, yes. And she paid me for the day. And then they took me out to the Hamptons and we made this little movie that nobody ever heard of. And I had the greatest time and that was it. I was in. You were sucked in. Yeah, I was sucked in. And I couldn't, I was like people got paid to do this. And then she did a TV, this little TV show. So she took me along to do that. So I just kept learning as I went figuring that they would find out I had zero idea what I was doing at some point, but I guess I, I was good at faking it. And um, I kept, I just kept latching on to people who could teach me things and I did whatever I was asked and I learned and I just met all the right people and just kept moving up and I got into the union. So then I got to do bigger jobs because you have to be in the union to actually work on the real jobs. And, um, yeah, I propped, I decorated, I did commercials, I did music videos, I did little teeny terrible low budget movies. And I met a lot of people. And as I met them, they kept hiring me. And then I actually wound up knowing what I was doing, I guess. And here I am. Well, obviously you must be good at what you do. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not hard to get along with. And um, you have to be able to get along with people. And I think if you do a good job and you're not a crazy person, people tend to invite you back. And so that's what kept happening with me. So you attend Nutley High School from 1980 to 1984. Fond memories from that time? 
Yeah, I had a good time in high school. We had a good group of friends, and um, we had a lot of fun. Any favorite teachers? You know, I did love John Walker. He was a principal at um, yeah. at Nanaquil when we were there, right? And then he did he was he the principal at the junior high, or they just named the junior high? After? No, they he went from being principal at uh, Yanaquil. Then he was the uh, assistant superintendent. Right. Then they named the school after him. Yeah. Mr. Walker was a great guy. No, he was I mean, the greatest guy in the world. Absolutely. He was the best. Yeah. Yeah. At every event. Just, yeah. I've never He was heard... an inspiration. I mean, he was just an unbelievable guy. And the, the fact that I still remember him when he was the principal of my grammar school 40 years later. I mean, everybody who ever, you say his name and everybody says the same thing. I have some photos here from high school that I'd like you to comment on. Okay. Oh God, a really bad haircut. I haven't seen this in years. I don't even remember what a lot of this means anymore. I, don't re I remember what some of this stuff means, and it's also stupid. <laughs> but what, were we 17 years old? So that's funny. Yeah, and that haircut, oh boy. What about this one? This looks like fun. No, why did I have a feeling this one was gonna come out? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is one year we did this. Oh, high school. Yeah. Well, well tell me, explain it. What, okay, what is that? so we were the we were the mascots for the football team. It was fun, actually. It was silly. It was something to do. I didn't want to be a cheerleader, but this was something to do, and you got to go to the games and you got to travel with them. So, and these were a couple of my best friends. So, but Janet and Dina were probably the reason I was there. One last photo. What comes to mind when you look at these? It's just funny, because I, I can't imagine myself doing this now, looking back on it, but it's like I'm glad I did do it. It was fun. It was something stupid, something to do on the weekends. There was, there was a whole pack of us that hung out together. That must have been fun. Yeah. And everybody lived, we all lived in this, kind of in the same neighborhood. There was this whole group of us that lived between Satterthwaite, Edgewood, Brookfield, Brookfield. Brookfield. Yep. Um, yeah, so we would, on Friday nights, we'd just all gather, and we would just all go out and walk around, because you just, you, we all lived in the same neighborhood, so we yeah. just hung out together. After graduating from Nutley, you went to the University of Delaware. Once you graduated from there, what was your first job in film? Uh, that movie that I was telling you about was called Jack and His Friends. It, it was, Sam Rockwell was in it, so there was somebody in it that we all know. Um, it was a silly little movie, and it shot in the Hamptons. It was about these people, Sam Rockwell and the actress, I can't remember her name, kidnapped this businessman, and they were holding him hostage, and I don't even remember. I, I never saw it, because I don't think it ever was released. But it I was I was hired as, I don't even know what I was hired. I guess I was hired as a decorator, but there was another decorator. So I did a little bit of everything, and I was on set, and I made some really good friends. One of my best friends was doing wardrobe, and we're still friends today. And the designer from that was the one that took me on to my next job, which was like a soap opera for kids called Swan's Crossing. Was the movie set like you imagined it? Even that small little one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. No, I didn't even know what to imagine. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I, I wasn't getting paid anything. I think they were paying me like $100 a week or something. But I didn't care because it was fun. And yeah, I just, 
yeah, the, the most exciting day is the first day you're on a film set, and then they all tend to run together after a while. But it was, um, it, it, I mean, it sucked me in. I was like, this is great. Because it's like being in your playground clothes, and you're staying up late, and you're with all these like-minded party people who just, you know, I guess don't want to have a real job. Because <laughs> we don't really have a real job. We're sort of pretending to be, or watching people pretend to be, and it's all make-believe, and yeah. it's silly fun. And, and you get paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> you get paid to do it, too, I know. I mean, my second job, I could make $500 a week, so I thought I was, I struck it rich at that point. And then it just kept getting better, and I kept doing better. I did, I mean, I did a lot of bad jobs, but I did a lot of really good ones, too. You've had several different titles during your career. Would you mind defining some of them? What's a set dresser do? A set dresser is, so in the art department, there's the production designers, the head of the art department. And beneath the production designers, the art director and the set decorator. The art director's in charge of construction and scenic. They build the sets, they paint. Set decorator's in charge of furnishing everything. And beneath the set decorator are the set dressers. So they're the people who pick all the furniture up, bring all the furniture in. They tile the floors, they put the glass in the windows, they hang the lights, they, and they, they put the set together, they take the set apart, and they keep it all organized in a shop. Great. Uh, property master. Property master is the head of the prop department, which is in charge of anything that's handled by an actor, um, guns, food, cars. Um, like, I get, like, if there's a food scene, I will usually get all the dishes and everything, and then they'll put the food. Anything, if the actors are eating it, they reset it. They're on set. They're the ones on set after a take. They put more water in the glass after you drink water. And set decorator. It's me. Um, in charge of, once the set is built and painted, I'm in charge of everything else. So I do all the lighting, all the wallpaper, all the drapery, um, furniture, linens, hospital curtains in a hospital, I have to do the hospital. If I do a police station, I'm in charge of all the paperwork and everything that's in there. So anything that's in the set is what, is what I'm in charge of. How difficult is it to keep track of all that? It's, it's, it's hectic. I have, a, I have assistants. I have, um, it, the film business, there's every, every department, there's a lot of departments and everybody's in charge of their own thing. I mean, the set decorator job, there's a lot to do. And like on West Side Story, I think we had 150 sets and they were massive and they were all over the place and um i mean i was getting i was dressing the inside of the apartment i was doing the police station i was doing the piles of rubble that were in the building in the set where the buildings were all coming down we would have like 50 trucks of bricks and bathtubs and pipes and garbage just brought in every day and i'd place it make it look like a building fell down instead of a bunch of random bricks. Wow. That's, 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 number one, it sounds like a ton of fun. Number two, yeah. a ton of work. It's so much work. Yeah. It's the kind of thing, it, when, like I said, when I was happy when I got a break, because I had done, I did four movies back to back, and it just, it, you can't ever stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You dream about it, you wake up in the middle of the night, like, ah, I forgot, and, and you, it's a lot. 
but it's it's a it's it's fun. You've worked with so many legendary icons, films, and series. I'm just going to go down my list and tell me what comes to mind. Okay. One of your early ones was No Holding Back with John Bon Jovi. That was that was Eddie Burns, I think. Right, right? and yeah. John Bon Jovi. Yeah. Did, do you interact with most of the yeah, people? Yeah. Um, on that one, I did because I was I was the offset dresser, which means I'm. Like I'm, I'm on set making sure that everything looks good in front of the camera for the decorator, which is a very important position actually for a decorator to have somebody that makes sure that everything that you've done to make the set look beautiful while they're shooting and the decorator's not there, you need the person to just make sure that the curtains haven't fallen down or something. But anyway, yes, on that, John Bon Jovi's the nicest guy in the world. Really? He was so fun. Um, Any Jersey stories between you? Probably, and um, Ed, Ed Burns loved um, Bruce Springsteen, and he wanted him to do the music for the movie. So we were, Liz, my friend Liz and I, she's props, we were, we were, they were about to roll, so we were sitting on a car, just offset, and up walks Bruce Springsteen, and the two of us are just looking at him, and he came over to, <laughs> and I was completely starstruck, completely, and he said, is Eddie around? And I got on my walkie and I asked somebody, I said, Bruce is here. Can somebody get Eddie, let Eddie know? And then I said, they're about to roll. So if you want to just wait. So he sat on the truck with Liz and me for the take and offered him a chip. Really? <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Then you worked on a film called Double Platinum with Diana Ross. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a made for TV movie. And it was Diana Ross and Brandy and she she was, you know, a Diana Ross kind of superstar and Brandy might have been her daughter, like estranged and but the cool thing about that was that we there was lots of concerts. So we would be in the theater and Diana Ross would just be singing and that was unbelievable. We had to call her Miss Ross. I was gonna say she was kind of a diva like Oh yeah, total diva. Total and I did private to prop master on that, so I dealt with her on a daily basis and she liked me, and I called, it was like running one day, like a crazy person. And everybody, down to the producers, would call her Miss Ross, and I just said, Diana, what do you want in your tea? And everybody got quiet. <laughs> and she just looked at me and said, I'll just take some honey, Rena. I said, okay. <laughs> I thought I was, I thought I was in trouble, but right? she was fine. She was okay with it. So, wow. she, was, she was nice. Then, of course, Pollock with the great Ed Harris. Working so hard. It was, we, I was the assistant prop master on that, and, um... That had to be a lot with all oh the God. stuff, right? It was so, it was the most intense job, because it was, he never stopped doing stuff, and painting, and, you know, it, it was a lot, and we were working really long hours, and he was, he was kind of, he was a method actor playing an angry alcoholic, so... It I was, was going to ask, because he as intense as he comes off that. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. completely intense. He lightens up like when he's not when he's not in the middle of it. We would see the lighter side of him after they would yell rap at the end of the night. He'd be great. But while he was being him, it was a lot. Then you worked on 25 episodes of The Sopranos. Being from Nutley, that must have been pretty familiar to you. Oh, yeah. They didn't... They weren't allowed to shoot in Nutley. Right. That was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And so if you notice sometimes when bad things would happen, they would happen 
in, in Nutley. <laughs> yeah. I think Christopher shot the guy in the bakery. Yeah, in the yellows, right? He was a... <laughs> Which is funny, but they were pretty happy to have Rena from Nutley come in as a prop because I knew, I mean, I understood everything in it. And they, you know, she, Adriana would show up with an outfit on. Everybody's like, come on. I was like, no, that's pretty accurate. And I would do all the food. And um, when they would say, why is there always baked ziti and sausage and peppers at every buffet? I said, because there's always baked ziti and sausage and peppers at every buffet. And it's true, right? I mean, Absolutely. It's what we grew up with. Yeah, so, it, was, it was it to a T. Yeah. So, yeah. I was a good I was a good person to have in the prop department on that show. Tell me about some of the actors on that show. Let's see. Well, Jim was great. Jim was he was the most generous guy in the world. Um, he was in almost every scene. He was constantly eating something. Poor thing. He liked to eat though, so he didn't have any problem with it. And I was the one that was in charge of the food. Oh my god. Uh, he, he would. How did he keep eating that stuff over I, that's, and over? Well, that's, you know when he would do he, this with his fork? He, because he was, like, killing time so that he didn't have to eat in every single take. Because if he did 20 takes of something, he'd be taking 20 bites of it. Yeah. And he'd eat a sub sandwich in the morning and then have a veal parmesan and then he'd have spaghetti and then he'd have a hot fudge sundae. And it would all be in one day. Oh, God. Yeah. So, but he would come out. And, there was one day where I was manning the lamb chops that were in the scene that he was um, eating lamb chops and he put salt on it or something and the top came off the salt and stuff. So I had a million lamb chops because we had to keep doing it over and over again. And between takes he came out in his robe and he went to grab one of the lamb chops and I smacked his hand with that and said, all you do is eat all day long and you're going to I have four more lamb chops left. You're not having one of these. <laughs> he just shook his head and walked away from me. So. That's why he didn't expect to see me up on the stage when I won the Emmy, because I was normally the messy prop girl that was manning the lamb chops. <laughs> Which one was most like his character? Uh, oh, probably Pauline Walnuts. Yeah, I would think. Um, Edie was nothing like her character. A lot of the guys were a lot like their characters. Junior wasn't. Jim wasn't, really. He was more mild-mannered. He was quieter. Um... Christopher, no, not. It really seemed like the cast was a close-knit Italian Jersey family. Yeah, it was everybody hung out together. We did, we all went to a Bruce concert because Stevie got us all tickets. It was like a hundred of us and they had a party. And um, yeah, I mean, I only did the two years. There's people that were on that show for the whole time. And so they were definitely like a family. I showed up in season four. I did four and five. And then I made a few guest appearances in six and seven. Being that The Sopranos took place in North Jersey, close to where you grew up, did you find it hard uh, relaying that to your co-workers that uh, a lot of these things that they were filming were, were pretty close to home? But the thing is that Sopranos is such a great show and none of it is fiction, really. It's not far-fetched at all. Far -fetched. Of course. It really isn't far-fetched. I said it to a friend of mine, we went to a restaurant around here, she worked on the show too, and she said, oh my God. I said, I know, this is what I was saying. This is why it was so real. Then you moved on to Mad Men, for which you won an Emmy Award. Tell me about that. That was, so we were on Sopranos, like I said, and um, Matt Weiner was, was one of the writers, and he had the show. And we went, we had a hiatus that was about six weeks, so it was the perfect opportunity just to take the crew from Sopranos and go make 
madmen. We had no money and had no idea what it was going to be. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to create that world. I would imagine it must have been really challenging to try and recreate a time and place that took place 50, 60 years ago. Well, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, that's what I do. But that world wasn't at, not that we did this, but um, the mid-century craze started a little bit before Sopran, a, a bit before um, Mad Men, but Mad Men really drove it home. And so researching it was fun. And it was also, there was not, everything wasn't as easily accessible as it is now. It wasn't like you can go online and buy whatever you want. So at this point, we're making an office that has typewriters from 1959. And I did the research and Matt was crazy about everything needing to be state of the art and exactly what they would be. So I found what, it was this IBM Selectric typewriter which just came out. And now I needed to find, there was 20 secretaries, so I needed to find 20 typewriters, which now I could do in a minute. Then, I, I found all the typewriter enthusiasts. I made a thousand phone calls. I was in basements of every single um, stationery store in the tri-state area, cleaning them out, just getting everything I could. And I found up, I wound up finding 10 perfect typewriters. So I'd have the 10 typewriters when the camera was going this way, and then we would switch them over and put them on the other desk when the camera went the other way. Um, so it was, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was rewarding and I think I will I look at it now and I'm just like oh my god we didn't have any money it was the curtains are so skinny and there's just things about it that horrify me but it did set the tone for the series so that's I guess why we won the award but the first just I all I did was the first episode so and then it went to LA and the rest of, then they had some money how about Al Pacino and you don't know Jack Al Pacino, he was he was so very good in that. I think he won an Emmy for it. He might have won. He was great, and we got to meet Jack Workian, which was kind of really. Cool. He came into our office, and Al did a really good job of portraying him. Um, and he was, you know, he was Al Pacino the first couple of days, where you know the bodyguards and the umbrellas and the and then after about five days, it was just like. Al's here, and it was... Is he normal? Because he seems a little off. Oh, he's... I, well, he's... No, he's not normal, I don't think. <laughs> but, um... He, you know, he was a good enough guy. He was nice to all of us. We, we had a good time with him. Um, yeah. I mean... You can only be so normal. Of course. If this when you're that your, famous for that long. When you're that famous for that Absolutely. long, and everybody knows who you are, and you can't walk down the street without a thousand people running after you. Yeah. I mean, we would have people sitting outside all day long with their Scarface posters and their whatever that they needed to have signed. And everybody, there was always paparazzi and there was always fans. And it, you can't be a normal person if that's what your life is. You're, you're in a different world. You're in a different world. Yeah. What about the help with Viola Davis? That was one of my favorite jobs. It was um, in, we were in Mississippi for six months. Um, and Tate, who directed it, had never directed, he did two little movies before. And he was friends with my friend Mark, who's a designer, who designed that movie. And we were doing, you don't know Jack, 
and we were in Michigan, and we'd been dealing with death, and we'd been in all these creepy hotels, and we were in these horrible jails, and we were in Detroit to shoot the scene in a courthouse. We were in a courthouse in Detroit, and I didn't want to go in because there was nothing for me to do, so I said, I'll be in the car, and Mark had just gotten the script for the help, and he's like, read this. And Tate wants me to do this. I don't, I don't know what it is. I've never heard of this book. So he goes in, and he, four hours later, he comes out, and I was like, oh, we're totally doing this movie. Because it was, you know, it was a decorator's dream movie. So we went, they didn't have any money, they didn't have any stars yet, and we went on this little ragtag scout right before Christmas with the producer, two producers and him and Mark and me, and then um, we just went and found this town of Greenwood, Mississippi, which was exactly what the book was. It was... It was amazing. Like everywhere we went, I was like, oh my God, this is so good. I mean, we just could imagine it. We had the best time. We really had a great time. You then worked on the James Brown biography, Get On Up, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman, yeah. Um, Nicest guy in the world. Another sad death. Right. Um, he was, wasn't super famous yet at that point. And we were just watching him transform into James Brown on a daily basis and said, this guy's going to be a gigantic movie star. And he was after what Black Panther. Okay, okay. But I mean, it, he was so incredible as James Brown. He didn't know how to dance. Like he <laughs> could dance, but he didn't know how to dance. And he was work. He worked with a choreographer for a month before we started shooting, and he was unbelievable. Um, we that was how many from nineteen thirty eight to nineteen eighty nine, and everywhere in between, and all over the world. We were supposed to be in the Apollo Theater and in Vietnam, and in Paris, and in all these places, and we did it all in Natchez, Mississippi. And Mick Jagger was a producer on that film, correct? He came around, he he came, his, his producing partner, Victoria, was there, and then he came down, I knew he was coming, everybody knew he was coming, because it was really exciting that Mick Jagger was gonna be there. And I remember I was leaving lunch, and his car pulled up, and I was like, oh, I missed him. Little did I know he was going to hang around for a couple of weeks. And then we, I was friendly, I was friends with Victoria, his producing partner, and we all hung out in this little restaurant in the middle of town. And we were sitting having dinner, and they all went up to the upstairs to the fancy room. And Victoria said, are you going to come up? I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up and had the first dinner with him. And then... Since I'm, I'm friends with the director and Mark and I, you know, we got invited to all the parties. So we were hanging out with Mick Jagger for two weeks. It was crazy. Again, outer body, weird, surreal craziness. It was, so, but he was just, you know, he's kind of, he's, you'd think Mick Jagger is a crazy person, but he's so mild-mannered and he's very short and he just, it was, yeah, he was, you know, we'd, we'd have these, we had a couple parties where there was singing and and there was a dance party at one of the houses one one night and yeah it was crazy crazy fun. Then of course the film that you were nominated for Academy Award, Bridge of Spies, starring Tom Hanks, and directed by Steven Spielberg. Doesn't get any bigger than that. Yeah, Tom Hanks is um, you know he's Tom Hanks. He's exactly who you think he would be. He's the life of the party, everybody loves him, always telling a story. Um, it was it was the biggest movie I'd done to date. 
and I, you know, I Adam had Adam was was an assistant art director when I was an assistant decorator, and so when he started designing, he called me because we would always be on the same sets together. So we were, so he called me to do this Spielberg movie, and I mean, it was the craziest call. Because that, again, just like being nominated for an Oscar, I was like, well, I'm going to do a Steven Spielberg movie? Who am I? I don't even know what I'm doing! It's <laughs> a little kid who probably saw E.T. Like, e. in the movie theater, right? Yeah, exactly. That's who I am. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And here I am doing this gigantic Spielberg movie. And no, it was a great, it was a great experience to have, the first time I met Steven, the set that was the um, Abel's Loft, um, the big loft space that was kind of his office. I had done this set. I may I finished it, and Stephen came in to look at it, and it's the first time I'm meeting him, and he's looking at my the set that I did, and it was, and he was just walking around picking things up and looking. He's like, "Where'd you get all this stuff?" and just engaging me and talking to me and asking me questions about what stuff was and complimenting me, and and I've loved him ever since. And how many films we worked with him on? Um, three. We did Bridges Buys, The Post, and West Side Story. What's he like in real Well, films? he's just, he's, he's great. He's, um, it, he, he, it's like watching a master class in film. It's like you're in film school when you watch him and, and watching him direct is amazing. He's great with the actors. He's so good with kids. He knows, he comes in and he's prepared every morning. He's there 45 minutes before call. So we're all there 45 minutes before call. He listens. You can talk to him. You can ask him questions. He, um, this year at, last year when we're at West Side Story, I was doing a lot of the, the, um, Q&As because Adam was in London, so they had me do them which I don't like talking in front of people. And so they ask us, they ask everybody on the stage questions. So at one point with Steven Janusz, who's the DP, the costume designer, the editor, the sound guy, and me. And the moderator asked me a question and I was prepared because they keep asking me the same question. So I had my answer ready. And he asked me a different question and it threw me and it was just a stupid question, but I was blank and there's 400 people in the audience and I just, and Stephen looked at me and he said, you don't remember, Rena. Remember when you told me about the linoleum? And I said, I do, thank you. And it just, and words just came out of my mouth. And I couldn't even believe it. And I got around, I don't even know what I said. And I got a round of applause, so it must have been interesting. And I saw him at the luncheon for the Oscars the next day. And I said, it's like, you saved me. And he said, that's what I'm there for. <laughs> I just wanted to thank you because I was dying and he's like I know I saw you were suffering and I had to help you so that's an amazing story yeah he's a good guy it really is mm -hmm. wow then of course you worked on Spielberg's West Side Story that must have been incredibly challenging trying to update a movie that's such a legendary classic yeah I mean nobody thought we were going to pull it off everybody thought it was going to be a disaster I mean even us who were making the movie was like why is why are we making West Side Story because we all love West Side Story mm -hmm. Um, so trying to, trying to make it, uh, what would I, what would I say? A tribute to the original, 
but we wanted to bring it out into the streets more. Like the original movie was very theatrical. It was like very, it was, it was a stage set. And we wanted it to feel like you were actually on the streets of New York and you wanted to, it to feel more alive and modernize it a little bit. And um, I think we did a, I think we did, I think we did it. Um, and w having watched the movie, you know, so many times in my life and, and building that, we were in Patterson, we actually shot in New Jersey, the scenes where they were um, on the streets doing America and where all the buildings were crumbling down. And we found a place in Patterson, New Jersey that had two big parking lots across from one another the perfect little building that we put the drugstore into. And then around the corner were all the streets. And um, I think it really gave the movie an energy that, uh, it was a great, I, I love that movie. I, I normally see a movie that I've worked on and I have to see it again a few times, but that movie, we were, all of us were just, we went to the premiere and it was just, it was so good that we were just so excited when it was over because you know, you don't always love what you did, but when we, after shooting in, you know, 40 different locations for that opening scene with all those alleys and everywhere that they were running and thinking, why are we doing this in so many places? How is this even going to make any sense? But he knew, he always knows. And he had the music in his head and he had the cuts and he knew which alley was which. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was actually so amazed that that turned out as good as it did. But of course it did. It's him. You seem to be a very modest person, but with someone with a career like yours, you must be very, very proud, even though you don't show it. Yeah, I have my moments where I'm really proud. I, I don't know, I, I don't know why I don't allow myself to, I don't allow self-congratulations, I guess, but I have had a pretty great career and I'm not done yet, still going. You've lived in several different places, and you've made films all around the world. What brought you back to Nutley? I've been in the city for almost 30 years, and I had an illegal sublet for 16, and I got found out. So I started looking for other places to live. And then I, well, once I got found out, I was on my way to Boston to do The Judge. So I just put everything in storage. And then I went and did get on up after that. And then I decorated two people's apartments and got to live in them for free. And then so cut to three years later, I'm still homeless. My stuff's still in storage. And I couldn't find anywhere to live and I came to visit my dad and I drove by this house and it was for sale. And I never thought about living in Nutley again, to be perfectly honest. But I came into this house and there was just something about it and I just felt like this was my house and I knew what I could do to it. and. And I, I'd looked, I was looking in, you know, all over the city and in Nyack and other places and the proximity to the city, so easy. Plus I still have family and friends here. I still have people. And it just seemed like the right choice. I still spend a lot of time in the city, but no, I love it here. It's great. I, I mean, I love this house. I love, I love that Franklin Avenue is right there. I love that, um, when I go away, I have a friend down the street who can feed my cat. And then everybody who lives in the city is thrilled that I have this house too because they're, they're constantly here. I'm hardly alone. There's always people here. Because it's it takes when there's no traffic, it takes 20 minutes to get here. You were a 2017 inductee into the Nutley Hall of Fame. 
What are your memories of that? Well, that again was another one of those weird phone calls or letter, and I I got the letter, and I didn't know that I didn't know that that was a thing. I called one of my friends who I went to high school with, and he said, "You're getting in before me," and I said, "What? what this is a thing? <laughs> didn't even know. I didn't know there was a Nutley Hall of Fame, but cool." And so, yeah. It, I, I, yeah, it wasn't something I expected. I was just like, why am I being in, again, because I don't have any, I don't feel like anything I do is that interesting. So I just, being put into the Hall of Fame with Martha Stewart and whoever else is in there, it's kind of cool. Were your parents alive to see your success? My mother, no. But my dad saw a bunch of it, so that's good. Yeah, my mom would have loved it. Because the first movie I did, the two of them were just like, what are you doing? This is, my father said, is this a porn movie? Why are they not paying you anything? I've never heard of any of these people before. And I was like, no, it's really, it's legit. And then I would come home from work and I would be this filthy little urchin. And my mother's just like, I don't understand what this job is. <laughs> it's horrible. So she, she was, she died right before... Oh, I put her picture in. I did that movie, Autumn in New York, with Richard Gere and Winona Ryder. And we needed a photo that was supposed to be Winona Ryder's mother, who he had dated when they were younger. And so I put my mom's high school graduation picture in it. And she didn't want me to do it. She was yelling at me. She was like, you can't. And I said, no, it's great. You're going to be on. And she didn't, she didn't make it to see the movie. But Richard Gere was like, who is this beautiful woman? And I said, that's my mom. And now she's on celluloid forever. That's really beautiful. And I put my dad on the on the mantle in Bridge of Spies. So his graduation picture is there. And then Rudy, our, his dog, is on Sopranos. Come on. Yeah, Rudy was... Oh, this is funny. Rudy um, was this excellent dog that I got. I found... I was walking down the street in the city. And I found this lady with a cage of puppies. And I can't help myself. So I take this puppy out. My mom had just died. I said, oh, I'm going to get my dad a dog. So I get, him, I get Rudy. So Rudy grows up, and he's the best dog ever. And um, we needed a dog on Sopranos for when, you probably remember this episode, when Tony meets his dad's, one of his dad's girlfriends at yes. the cemetery, Polly yes. Bergen. Yes, probably. And he goes to her apartment, and there's a picture of a kid with a dog. That's Rudy. So uh, Steve Buscemi was directing that episode, and I, since I was props, we were in charge of animals. So I had all these headshots of dog actors, and then I just stuck Rudy in there, and I gave him the pile. And he's looking through, and he said, "Who is this?" And I said, "It's Rudy." And he said, "And why should Rudy be the dog in the picture?" I said, "Because look at him. Wouldn't you be sad if your dad gave that dog away?" And so Rudy won. And so Rudy's pictured with one of the Teamster's sons. And, it's like, and he's smiling. He was so happy to be there. Was, yeah. Did your dad see that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, they played it down yesterday. So. Oh, they did? The okay. night that it was on, it was like, everybody get quiet. And, then, and he got, they did three shots of Rudy. They did a, they did a wide and then a medium and then a close-up of Rudy. And everybody was like, yay, Rudy. That's fantastic. Yeah. That was good. Okay, Rena, it's time for our speed round. I'm going to throw out some questions. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Favorite movie? Mm, Coal Miner's Daughter. I don't know why. I love that movie. Godfather. Jaws. Favorite movie you worked on? The Help. Favorite TV show? Mm, 
I'm a tough audience. I like the show The Bear now. It's really good. I liked Breaking Bad was great. Sopranos was one of the best shows ever. Favorite TV show you worked on? Sopranos. Okay. Favorite Jersey Shore town? Asbury. I lived there for a little while. Springsteen or Bon Jovi? Springsteen. Favorite song? Mm, God, that's hard. I know the words to every single one of them. Um, not every single one, but how about Thunder Road? No, John Lennon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rena D'Angelo, thank you so much for joining us on the Inside Nutley podcast. We appreciate your time. Take care. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you.